Good morning. So, Lord willing, I, I wanted to share from basically two Bible stories um, during this meeting. But uh, as, as we look back, I mean, 10 years is sort of 10 years, and then your past 10 years, and it's 11, 12, 13. And I would definitely say, somebody made reference to Psalm 23 uh, this morning, but one of, my verse, one of the verses that I've come to love from Psalm 23 is at the end when it says, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life, will follow us all the days of our lives. And I thought about that. Why is it follow? Like, why isn't goodness and mercy <laughs> leading us or out in front of us or right around us? And maybe there's other verses that say it that way. But I think that part of our experience as human beings is, is, is that looking back is when we have the ability to see his goodness and his mercy. As the circumstances and as life sort of hits you as you're living it forward, um, not knowing, not understanding, but just accepting what's coming, you don't always, it's not our tendency to interpret things as goodness and mercy, interpreting things that happen to us. But when you look back, when you have the ability to look back and interpret it and see it even a little bit from the Lord's point of view, um, you realize how true it is, that it's really his goodness and his mercy that's always behind you, always following you. Um, and it's a blessing uh, to be his servant and to know him and and have the privilege of working with him, of being involved in his work with him. This morning I want to read with you, I, I like to sort of ask questions. Um, sometimes I might wait for an answer, um, sometimes I might not, sometimes it's just to have us all thinking a little bit. Besides the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not sure if you know which miracle is in all four Gospels. There's only one there's only one miracle besides the resurrection that's in all four gospels. I don't know if anybody Yeah, feeding of the five thousand. So I think probably you guys know John uh was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke and from a different perspective. But John also John doesn't use the word miracle. Um he calls them signs. Um, but he says that he picked the ones that he picked specifically to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you would know him, and that by knowing him, we would have life in his name. And so of the, of the eight, depending again on how you count them, seven or eight, that John included, almost all of them are unique to his gospel. He more or less knew what was in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and, and the Holy Spirit was doing it, not just John. But I feel like the feeding of the 5,000, in a sense, for John was too good um, to not include. But what John does do is he, in, he includes a lot of the teaching that Jesus did after having fed the people, which the other Gospels don't. Um, but John uses that to show us that Jesus is the bread of life and what Jesus was actually doing in the miracle. I'm going to not read it from John, though. I would like you to turn to Matthew 14, and we can read this together. It's only nine verses in Matthew. Matthew 
Matthew 14, starting in verse 13, and I'll read 13 to 21. It says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The second story that I want you to turn to, and again I'm going to read it in 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. This is Elisha and the widow's oil, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There isn't another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons live on the rest. Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you so much for your word, Father. Thank you. Um, for these stories that are true. Thank you that they show us what you're like, Father. And I ask that this morning, as we're here together, um, that you would grant us your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our hearts and our understanding would be opened, and that we would come to know you more, Father. I ask that um, you would reveal yourself to us through your word, through um, the things that your son, the Lord Jesus, said through the Holy Spirit. Um, I ask, Father, that we would be changed, that each of us in the room would really come to know you more and really um, be different from having heard your word and knowing you. I thank you that you can do it and that you desire to do it. And we ask in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
in Matthew, because, because this story's in um, all four Gospels, there's a lot of details, there's a lot of information that we have, and I'm not going to f- have you flip back and forth to all the different Gospels to see it, but I'm going to, as I'm sharing, I'll say some of it to you. But what the scene was, was that Jesus and the disciples had been very busy serving people. Um, And Jesus had told the disciples, the apostles, that he wanted to take them apart so they could rest for a while. And it even indicates that maybe they had sort of done it quietly, that they were trying to get in this boat and go to the other side of the lake to have some rest. But it says that the people heard about it, and while they were in the boat going across the lake, the people had walked around the lake so that by the time they got to the other side, there was already a huge crowd of people there waiting for them. So I want you guys to think for a minute. I don't know all of your lives <laughs> or what you're like, but that time when you feel like that you've been pushed beyond what you can take, and then you've taken some more, and then people have asked even more of you, and maybe even a little bit more, and then you're finally at the point where you think you're going to get some rest. I don't know if that means like coming home and thinking you're going to open the door, you're going to go in, sit in your favorite chair, take your shoes off, put your feet up, get your favorite book, or turn the music that you want to listen to, turn it on. But if you, if you can imagine that sort of scenario, and then instead of coming home to an empty house, your house is full of people, and it's not going to be the rest that you imagined. And I wonder what your response to that would be. Um, we c- I, I just because of the way that the Lord has us and the place that the Lord has us, um, and with our phones and you know you know how phones are now, right? You're never you're never your own, basically. Um, and sometimes you just think that you really can't take any more. Like if 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 one more thing happens, you just think, wow. Uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to b- respond to this, or I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. Um, but if you look in this story, what was the Lord Jesus' response? In verse 14, it says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and what? And what? He was upset because he was trying to have some rest, some downtime with his closest friends, or... He was upset because he thought that they could get to the other side of the lake and be by themselves. No, it says he was moved with compassion for them. When Jesus saw them, even despite what the original plan had been about them going across the lake like this, it says he was moved with compassion for them. And then he healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and listened to what the disciples said. And I think so many times as we read through the Gospels, we, the contrast is there uh, for us between what we're like. I'm not just saying the apostles or the disciples. It's what we're like as opposed to what God's like or as opposed to what Jesus is like. And this is their um, evaluation of the circumstance that they found themselves in. And, and, and also, granted, everything that they say is true, right? This is a deserted place. That's true. This was a deserted place. The hour is already late. 
It's true. It was late. But now this is what they make of those two statements that are true. This is what they decided to do or what they think would be a good plan. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Um, and I think it doesn't, again, it doesn't take too much imagination or take too much energy on our part to put yourself in their situation and think why this seemed like a good idea to, to the disciples um, to do this. Because there's 5,000 people, it says, maybe more, because that was the men. So if, if they were counting everybody who was there, maybe 15,000 people. They're in a deserted place, there's, and there's no place to get food. And you get the indication that not everybody had brought food either. Like maybe they weren't intending on being there so long, or maybe they didn't think it would end up like this. Um, but they're in a place where the, the need seems overwhelming. It seems like there's too many people, there's so many people, it's late, and there's no way for them to get food. In the other stories, in the other Gospels, they say that somebody has the quick mathematical uh, calculation to say that even eight months' wages would not be enough to buy enough food to give everybody a small bite of food. <laughs> okay? So this is like human beings' brains turning and churning and trying to figure out solutions to problems, right? And that's a long thought process. Eight months food, uh, eight months wages, even if we had eight months wages and could somehow, I don't know, you couldn't buy food, right? You're in a deserted place. But even if you had eight months wages, which they didn't have, they didn't even have enough money to pay the simple temple tax, right? Even if you had eight months wages of money on hand, and a place to buy food, even that would only be enough to give each person there a small bite of food. That's some real thinking, right? That's <laughs> like they really figured that out. And so what's the solution? Like what's the human solution to this problem? What do they say? Send them away. Send them away. Like, do you ever think of a story of Jesus where that's the solution? Jesus said from eternity past, he'd been watching the Father work. He knows what his Father is like. Do you think sending people away is something that Jesus saw his father do? That's something very close to the heart of God? That's God's solution to a, a problem of people? Send them away? That they, and it says, into the villages that they may buy themselves food. Like if you've been paying attention through the whole Bible up to this point, you know that people can't provide for themselves. You know that people are faced with bigger problems than they can solve on their own. You know that people can't buy real food. And so Jesus says to them, very simply, 
very clearly, very directly, verse 16, they do not need to go away. And this is one of the things that as I thought about talking here this morning, I would like all of us as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to realize we're going to get into it more, but because of our relationship with him, sending people with problems away is never a solution. It is never a Christian, a Christ-filled, a Christ-like from God's Father's heart. That is never the solution. And you say, well, we don't have, we don't have whatever. You fill in the blank. We don't have it, right? but you're standing there by Jesus. That's a good solution if Jesus is somewhere else, if he's on the other side of the lake. That's a good solution if it's you and 5,000 people. But none of you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of us as, as people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, who have access through the Lord Jesus to God the Father, we're never in that situation. We're never faced with a need. We're never faced with a problem on our own. We may calculate on our own. We may function more or less as atheists despite all that we are and all that we know and all that we say and all that we believe when we calculate when we look at a situation and evaluate the situation and even get the facts right but leave God out of it then you're going to come up with human uh, answers to these things you remember this story. You know that this story, so I've said this is the one that's in all four Gospels. This is the one that the Holy Spirit, writing the Bible, wants you to know this story. He wants us to know and understand this story. But this is not the most people that were ever fed supernaturally as a story in the Bible. Do you guys know? Yeah, so the manna, first of all, right? The manna, first of all. And it says the people despised it. They were fed with angels' food day after day after day after day after day after day. You guys know what it's like to see snow, like when snow starts falling and collecting on something. And I always picture the tablets that Moses threw down on the ground and broke, right? God's covenant with the people, they're laying broken on the ground. And the next morning, what? Slowly the man is coming down and landing on top of that and covering that. Because God is faithful and God is kind and God is generous. But the people crave meat. They say all we have is this manna. Over and over and over, all we have is manna. All this manna always before us. Manna, manna, manna. We want some meat. And God says to Moses, 
They want meat? He says, I'll give them meat, not for one days, one day, not for two days, not for five days, not for 10 days, not for 20 days, but for a whole month, I'll give them meat. And Moses probably, who up to that point and maybe even till now, had more direct interaction with God than any other person, right? Over and over, he's up on the mountain meeting with God. And when God says this to Moses, I, I, when, if you read it, I really think Moses, I hope this doesn't upset anybody, I, I really think that Moses thought God had lost it. Because Moses, you, you get the impression that he doesn't say anything for a while, and then he says, the people that you've given to me are 600,000 men. Maybe 1.2 million people. And again, you see Moses, the wheels turning in his head. He said, will flocks and herds be slaughtered that they may all eat meat? Or his, he's thinking, thinking, thinking. All the fish in the sea, he says, wouldn't be enough to give them meat, to give this many people meat for a month. Is, do you think that's true? I don't think it's true, but it doesn't, in some ways it doesn't matter if it's true because if God tells you something, God will do it. It's nothing to God. It's nothing. He can do anything he wants, anytime, any way he wants, and you're not going to be able to think up how he's going to do it. If you can think up how he's going to do it, I would suggest that it's not God doing it. If it's your plan and you can come up with eight months' wages and send people out to buy the food and bring it back, that's fine. Give everybody one bite of food. That's your solution to the problem. Great. You took care of it. Is God like that? Of course he's not like that. So Jesus says in verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, now what? <laughs> now what? But you've probably heard the saying, God's commandments are his enablements, right? Have you heard that? God's commandments are his enablements. It means if God commands you something, He'll, in, he'll make it possible for you to do the thing that he commands you to do, whether it's by the Holy Spirit living in you um, or by whatever supernatural means he wants. He, if he gives you a command, it is possible for us to fulfill his command. It's possible for us to do it, but not apart from him, not apart from him, not by thinking up your own way of doing it, not by coming up with your own solution. Like it's going to be complete and utter dependence upon him and obedience to him and doing what he tells you to do, and then you'll see his fulfillment of his command in your life. 
So they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. So you know the story, again, not from Matthew, but from the other Gospels, that this is a little boy's food that he had with him. And they're not like five loaves, right? (laughs) It says they're barley cakes, barley that many people wouldn't even eat it. Like they considered it only food for animals and probably rolls, like more like we would say a roll, five barley loaves and two little fish. And again, two fish, don't picture like a North Atlantic wild-caught salmon, like you're talking about two sardines maybe, okay? I've, I've, I've thought about this story a lot. Do you, do you think this was the only food that was there? No. Right, there are people probably that had food that they had decided that they were going to keep it for themselves. Right? This is the food that was shared or that was given by a little boy. Do you know that God is never, ever, ever trying to bother you or take something away from you? He loves you so much. And what seems like an interruption is really his coming to bless you. You think of Peter, right? They fished all night. They had washed their nets. They had cleaned their nets. They had put them away. And Jesus says, cast your boat out a little. Go out in the boat. And then later after he teaches, he says, put down your nets to fish. And they're like, (laughs) we just fished all night. We cleaned our nets. We swabbed our deck. Everything's clean. Everything's put away. I really, really, really don't want to go fishing right now. Was Jesus just trying to bother them? No. So Jesus says the the best thing, obviously, in verse 18, bring them here to me. I don't know what you have. Like, you might feel like you're faced with needs and problems that are beyond anything that you have the capability or the ability to deal with, right? You don't have the resources. You don't have the know-how. You don't have the time. You don't have the energy. You don't have, I don't know what you don't have, but you don't have something. But what do you have? What do you have? How many times is that where God starts, right? He says to Moses, after he, after he like enlists Moses as a leader, he says, and Moses is about the most thorough person ever, cataloging all the reasons why he's the wrong person to do it, then God says to him, what's that in your hand? What's that in my hand? What was in Moses' hand? Staff. A rod, he says. A rod. That's my rod. It's it's just my rod. What's that in your hand? What's God going to do with Moses' rod? He just thinks, that's just my rod. You give it over, you give it up, you give it completely to God to control it. It's not just the rod, right? 
That's the power of God there then. The story that I read, that we just read together about Elisha, she, she presents this problem. She's in debt. Her husband's dead. She's in debt. Her sons are going to be taken away as slaves. Elisha says, what, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it's, it's obvious, right? Like Jesus asking a blind person, what do you want? What do you, what do you think a blind person wants? Right? So he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have in the house? She says, all that we have is this small jar of oil. That's all. If you take the lady at her word, it, 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 it seems to indicate to me that they had tried to pay their debts, that they had done what they could. Maybe they had sold off the furniture. Maybe they had sold off the farm implements. Maybe they had sold whatever they could sell. She says, we only have this jar of oil. But whatever it is that you have, that, and you might think it's nothing, you might think it's small, you bring it to Jesus, right? What, what, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Send the people away? Let the people go find food for themselves? Let just, I can't be bothered by this. Like, just let the people figure it out. And I like to pay attention to the verbs then of what Jesus does. It says, he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed it and broke it and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So he took it, he blessed it, he thanked, he thanked God for it. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Just over a year later from this story, Jesus is with the same disciples in the upper room is going to take another loaf of bread and he's going to take the loaf of bread and he's going to bless it and he's going to break it and he's going to give it to them and he's going to say that this is my body which is given for you. There's no question what this story is about, okay? God can feed anybody, anywhere, any number of people, anything. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants us to see that Jesus took on flesh, took a body, he blessed it, and he was willing to have it broken so that it might be given for the world, given for satisfaction, for everybody, in every situation, any time ever. When you're ministering to people and when there's need around you, it's not just about clothes. Sometimes it is about clothes. It's not just about transportation. Sometimes it is about transportation. It's not just about health, medical care, health care, or surgery to fix this or that. It's not just about money. Sometimes it is those things, and there's nobody controlled by Jesus, controlled by the Holy Spirit, whose heart's filled with compassion that can ignore those things, but above and beyond all of those things, it's ministering the Lord Jesus Christ to other people, right? 
That's what every broken, hurting, unloved person needs. Jesus. Again, if you think about this story, when are the when is the bread and the fish multiplied? So that's the miracle, right? The multiplication of the loaves or the multiplication of the fish. When's it when's it multiplied? Right. Like is it just in a basket, like up in front? Like is Jesus just breaking off pieces of bread, filling up baskets, and then the people are taking baskets and giving it to people? It doesn't say no, no, that that's no. It doesn't say how much it happened when Jesus broke it and gave it to the disciples. So I don't know for sure about that, but you do know for sure that it's when the disciples are handing it out to the people, right? They had the people sit down in groups of 50 to 100. So that's like eight groups of 50 to 100 per disciple, per apostle. And can you imagine the absolute wonder as you're standing there and you're breaking it off and you're handing it to people, but your hand is still full? But do you see that that's Jesus? That's the ability that we have as believers ministering to other people his love and his grace and his kindness and his compassion and his healing. And you're never going to run out. You're never going to be being broken, being passed out like that and run out. If, if you're doing stuff on your own, if you're coming up with your own ideas, your own solutions, you're going to have problems. If you're obeying Jesus and, and you're ministering him and you're doing things at his command in obedience to him, you're never going to run out. And it doesn't say anything about this. None of the, none of the gospels say it. M and maybe I'm completely wrong, but I imagine it was very quiet. <laughs> Because I think it was, so it was so unbelievable, it was so wonderful what was happening. The people are just, the, the, the apostles are just walking around, breaking it, handing it out. But the multiplication happens in the breaking, right? In the breaking. It, you couldn't keep the loaf. You couldn't say that this little boy's barley loaf was, this loaf is beautiful. This loaf is uh, perfectly crusty on the outside, but soft and flaky inside. It's a perfect brown color on the top and still a little white on the bottom. This loaf is beautiful. L let's just keep this loaf. How many would you have left at the end? Same as you started with, right? But in the breaking, in the, in the breaking apart, is the multiplication. The story that we read about Elisha, I just want to also think about that for a minute, is the, um, the oil, when was the oil multiplied?
pouring out, right? It says like pouring into the pot. So if 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 it was physics as usual, if it was life experience as usual about you just have one jar of oil and you're going to pour it into another jar, how many vessels do you need to borrow? Business as usual. Physics as usual. Conservation of mass or whatever it is. One. Maybe same size, maybe a little bit bigger. How many did they borrow? Doesn't say it, we don't know. But you do know one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible that I just read to you. She says to her son, get me another vessel. Go bring me another vessel. And he says, there's no more vessels. And then it says, and the flow of the oil stopped. So they were told to go borrow empty vessels from their neighbors, right? So I imagine if you gave them a chance to do it again, if you gave them a chance to do it over, who would they who did they think was their neighbor the first time compared to if you gave them a chance to do it again, who would they think their neighbor was? <laughs> Everybody. And then empty vessels, and you're like, you go, you go to their house, well, we don't have any empty vessels. Yeah, yeah, but that bucket there, there's just like five rusty nails in the bottom of that bucket. Can you just dump them out on the ground and give me that, give me that empty vessel? I can tell you 100%, we, you know, there's a lot we don't know. I can tell you 100% sure if they had a chance to do it again, they would go further. <laughs> they would knock on more doors. They would ask people to empty out just whatever little junk they had in their vessels and give them empty vessels. <laughs> None of us is ever going to get to the end of our life and say, I wish I had loved people a little bit less. You know, looking back at my life, I think I, I just loved people too much. None of us is going to get to the end of our life and say, I wish I had kept more for myself. I wish I had given away less. I really wish that I had more right now and that in my life I hadn't given so much away. Nobody's going to get to the end of their life and say, I wish I hadn't served people so much. I wish I hadn't helped people so much. I wish I would have spent more time on myself. So this is the story that's in four Gospels. And one sentence that's more or less word for word in each four, all four, is, so they all ate and were full. So they all ate and were satisfied. In the one miracle that you can't miss, there's one thing that you can't miss. And it's that when Jesus is demonstrating what his father is like, the takeaway message is that God is generous. And that God's not just trying to skimp by for people, to just give them a little bit. He has the ability and the desire to, to 
overflow in giving, right? Like super abundance. Paul makes up words to describe what God's generosity is like. He adds prefixes and suffixes to words and then uses them twice and then adds a third one to try to communicate to people what God's giving is like. And he says that you'll always have sufficiency in all things. And then they have leftover, 12 baskets of leftover. And you think, uh, why? Why? Isn't that a waste? Why did why didn't they just why didn't God just give everybody enough to be full to eat until they were full and not have leftover? Well, it's not a waste, right? I mean, that's not that's not the answer. In, in, the, in closing, I can't really see the clock, <laughs> but in closing, I just want to s- tell you, it's not really a story, but it's sort of a story. So in the land of Israel, there's two seas, and one of the seas, you can picture lots of vegetation growing all around, lots of trees, kids playing by the shore, fish swimming in the water, the hills around the sea, Um, vineyards, orchards, everything all around. The other sea is completely devoid of life. Barren, dead, people will find roads to avoid it, to try to stay away from it, to go around it. If you say, what's the difference between these two seas? The difference is not the source of the water, right? Because both the seas get water from the same river, the Jordan River. The difference is that in the case of the Sea of Galilee, which is the first sea, for every drop of water that comes into the sea, a drop of water flows out. Whatever it receives, it gives. The second sea never gives at all. Every drop of water that comes into it, there's nothing that flows out. There's evaporation, sure, but nothing flowing out of it. And we all know what the name of that sea is, right? The Dead Sea. Does somebody, do you want me to close in prayer? Or? Okay, I'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing us what your Father is like. We confess to you that your ways are not our ways and that your thoughts are not our thoughts, that you're far, far above us, that you're way more loving, you're way more kind, you're way more generous um, than any of us ever have been. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing your Father to us. We thank you for giving us your word and for the stories and for the truth. I pray, Father, that each of us um, would be more humble, would be more empty, would be more um, 
willing to be broken, would be more willing to be used by you, knowing that the sufficiency is not of ourselves, but of you. Thank you for the food that uh, you provide for us, even as we get to eat lunch together, Father, and for the time that we'll have together. Um, we love you, and we thank you and pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.